surprise. And uh, certainly enjoy to have them in the service today. And my other sister-in-law that made it back from being a world traveler this week. And uh, certainly glad to have them in the service this morning. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue our study on the life of Christ, we're at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, looking forward to the message this morning uh, that God's given us in Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 5, we went through the Beatitudes last week and uh, dealt with that topic. And now we're moving on to uh, what some people call the similitudes or uh, the fact that we're the light of the earth and the salt of the earth and that sort of a thing. We begin reading in verse number 13. The Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Father, we come to you this morning once again. And Lord, I need your help this morning. And I know that folks came here this morning for... No other reason than to hear your Holy Spirit work in their hearts and their lives and to hear your word being preached. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would do what men cannot do, and that is to stir our hearts. And Father, that you will draw us closer and nearer to you, that we will become more of what we ought to be. Lord, there are times that your word will encourage and strengthen us and we leave the place rejoicing in who you are and the promises that you've given to us, the blessings that you've brought into our lives. And Father, there are sometimes we come in here and we are instructed and your word has its purpose in our hearts to grow us in our faith and to cause us to become more of what we ought to be as we learn some things. And Father, there are sometimes that we have reproof that takes place. Lord, in any given week, in any given service, we know that any or all of these things could take place in the service in our hearts. Lord, my prayer this morning that I ask of you is that you would have your will in whichever way you would choose to lead in the hearts of men this morning. And Father, most importantly, that we would be receptive to it. And Father, that we would not respond inappropriately, but that we would respond appropriately to the preaching and the teaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would do a work this morning. And as we leave here, that we can say it truly has been a great joy to our hearts to have been in the house of the Lord this morning. I pray that you'll use the message in our lives and in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My goal is this morning to spend some time preaching mainly to those that are saved as Jesus is giving some instructions here. But I want to start the message this morning by saying this. If you're sitting here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You don't know if you died right now that you would go to heaven. And I'm not talking about church attendance. You may have been in church a long time. And I'm not talking about belonging to a particular denomination. But if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Can I tell you this morning, God loves you. And He did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. And I know a lot of people that are lost uh, get offended and they say, Well, who does God think He is to condemn me to a devil's hell if I don't believe in Him? We were already condemned. He came to save us. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in that situation or you've been struggling with that decision in your heart, 
that if you'll give us the opportunity today to take God's Word and show you how you can be saved, we'd sure love to have you get that matter settled today. God loves you with all of His heart. He doesn't. He's, the Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what His heart is. That's what He longs for you and for me. Uh, I, you, you're not guaranteed another day. Uh, I'm not guaranteed another day. Uh, several years ago down in Florida when I was pastoring, we had a large Haitian ministry down there. And uh, one of our Haitian brethren uh, left the church service that morning. He just lived a few blocks down the road. And rather than drive his car, he walked back and forth to church many times. And that morning he left church and was walking home and got about 500 yards down the road. And a car struck him and killed him. He woke up that morning and he wasn't worried about dying that day. He was going to church to spend time worshiping the Lord. I happened to know him and he was saved and gave a great testimony of salvation. I know that only God knows his heart, but uh, certainly was a man who showed fruit and loved the Lord and cherished the Lord. But he didn't know that that day was going to be his last day. And I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I would say this. We're not guaranteed another breath. And if I was not certain of my security, of my eternal security, if I was not certain that if I died right now, I'd go to heaven, and the invitation time came, I wouldn't walk. I'd run to the altar. It's not, it's not worth the chance. I've heard people say, well, I'll wait later in life. I'm going to wait later in life. I don't know why God put that on my heart this morning, because the message is going to be primarily to Christians today, but there may be somebody here today that's lost. If that's the case, I would encourage you and I'd urge you any way I could. If I could make the decision for you, I would. The greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I want to encourage you in that this morning. Let's turn our attention, if you will, to our text this morning. In Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 13, the Bible says, Ye are the salt of the earth. What an amazing statement. I've heard a lot of messages that men have preached on these topics. And there's so much that is involved in these verses, these two or three verses that... Christ gives us here, and I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing as we have uh, not just uh, the thoughts of what God said on the mountaintop that day, but we have His actual words here of what He said, very important to us, as we realize that He comes to us, and uh, I think most of all of us here this morning would realize and recognize that uh, the Bible teaches very clearly that without me, meaning Jesus Christ, He said, ye can do what? You can do nothing. And so there's nothing that you and I do in our lives short of the Lord Jesus Christ that is worth anything. There's nothing that you and I can do or any kind of impact that we can have on a lost and dying world by, by trusting in our own strength or our own talents or our own personalities. And, and by the way, let me just say this. In the day and age that we live, there's an awful lot of that trying to go on. There are a lot of people that are trying to win people to themselves so they can win them to Christ. And and they're trying to trust in their uh, rationale and their reasoning. This morning we were dealing with the topic in Teen Sunday School and uh, regarding um, the issue of evolution and, and creation and how that science supports the creationary theory and or the creation account of Scripture and not the evolutionary theory. And, and we got to the end of the, the Sunday school lesson, and one of the, cre- the main things I wanted them to realize is that we do not believe the Bible because science supports it. We believe the Bible because it's God's Word. And, and God, God is the only one that can do a work in the hearts of men. We go to talk, I was talking with somebody just this week, 
on the topic of uh, the fact that he was dealing with an atheist and was trying to share uh, some things with an atheist. And he was sharing with me some of the uh, reasoning and the logic and the the steps that he was taking and the the philosophy he was trying to build a case for the cause of Christ. And I I understand his attempt and and the, the heart behind it. And I appreciate so much that he is concerned for this man. But but one of the things that we've got to come to grips with is the Bible is the only thing that promises that it's quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible transforms men's lives. Science does not. History does not transform men's lives. The Bible transforms men's lives. And so when dealing with a, a, an atheist or an agnostic or someone who doesn't uh, wants to deny Christ, the best way to approach him is to quote Scripture. Give them Scripture. And uh, I think Brother Harold, it was a couple weeks ago, was said that uh, about the importance of hiding God's Word in our heart. The importance of this. That we can be ready to give an answer to every man. Uh, the, the faith that we hold on to. Be able to give an answer for it. I was listening to a fellow here recently. He said we're, we're raising people in our churches and we're turning out people in our churches that in the next few years will be hard-pressed. To give an answer to the unbelievable uh, growth of the Muslim faith as they come around and they try to, to uh, uh, proselytize uh, people from our churches to their faith because we're turning out a bunch of people in our churches that do not know why they believe what they believe. We get to this place where we cannot stand in our own power, in our own strength, in our own intellect. But we must rely on God doing something in us and through us. And just like we don't go to a lost person and we don't give them our own opinion of things, we give them God's Word to see them saved. We must also learn that when we come, when it comes to this thing of being salt, we cannot do it of our own accord. The Bible speaks here in chapter 5 and verse number 13 of a salt that is supposed to be, its purpose is to be the salt of the earth. The salt has two purposes. One is it has a purifying effect, and the other is it has a preserving effect. And certainly we are put in this earth to be in the world, but not of the world. And the Bible teaches that part of this role that God has given to us is that we're to be salty Christians. There ought to be a purifying effect. I was around somebody the other day who knew me and knew that I pastored a church, and uh, they were speaking to someone else, and they let a curse word slip, and immediately they said, Oh, I'm sorry, Greg. I'm sorry about that. And if I had not been there, it might not have even bothered them at all. But there's ought to be something that God puts inside of us that when we're around other people in the world, it has a, a purifying effect on them. It has, a, it has an effect that causes them to be pointed to Christ. And then there ought to be a preserving effect. Once that purification takes place, that we do not continue to become unpurified. And the Bible says here, as we get to verse number 13, that ye... And I want you to notice this if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bibles. You ought to underline that first word. Ye are the salt of the earth. Do you see that? I said all that we said at the beginning of this to realize because we all understand that we can do nothing of our own accord, that we must have the Lord Jesus Christ working in us and through us. But He has put the responsibility and the burden on you and I to be the salt of the earth. Hold your place here for a minute. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 
I think this is a very, very important concept that in the day and age that we live, we many times go through our life never giving this a thought. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, if you will, begin reading with me in verse number 20. The Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And let me just say this very quickly. We have uh, four different types of vessels here. We have gold, silver, wood, and earth, and all of them are for a specific purpose. And let me just say this at the onset. This is something that is normally not drawn out of this particular passage. But God has chosen some people to be one thing in His ministry. God has chosen other people to be a different thing in the ministry. And I will say this, that whatever of these four types of vessels that you are, you're to be all of it that you can be for Him. And then out of these four vessels, all four of them can be one or the other of this. They can be either a vessel of honor, or they can be a vessel of dishonor. Whether you're the gold vessel, the silver vessel, the wood vessel, or the earthen vessel, you're going to either be a vessel of honor or dishonor. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? Whatever vessel it is that God has chosen for you to be, what makes the difference whether you're a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor? Look what it says here. The Bible says, If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and look at this, and meet for the master's use. The word meet's an old English word. It means literally to be suitable. Same word that was translated uh, in Genesis uh, when the Bible says there uh, was not found in help, meet for him. And it was not one word, but two words. That the woman was created to be a help, suitable for Adam, meet for Adam. We find that as we come here that the same word is used. That meet for the master's use, suitable for the master's use. What makes us a vessel of honor? When we purify ourselves so that we are suitable to be used of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could put it this way. We're a cleansed vessel and an emptied vessel ready for Christ to fill us and use us. Now what makes a vessel of dishonor? Look what the Bible says here. Uh, the Bible speaks here in verse number of, uh, uh, 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. So the idea then that the, the, uh, the vessel of dishonor is the man who does not purge himself and does not make sure that he is clean. Now, let's come back to Matthew chapter number 5 for a moment. If we are the salt of the earth, the Bible says here that we've been given this responsibility by God. And the only way that we can be a salty Christian is for God to use us. Then by uh, by the process of, uh, of studying Scripture, in order for us to be salty Christians, we must be purified ourselves. We must have a holiness and a cleanliness and a se- separation about us where we are not like the world. We're not spotted by the world. We don't follow after the worldly things. And I'll tell you what happens here in verse number 13. The Bible says, but if the salt have lost his savor. Do you see that? It's usefulness. It's ability to create spice and and tastiness. It's ability to have a purifying effect. And and I'm told that when salt is made, that uh, when the salt comes into contact with certain impurities... It can lose its effectiveness as salt. And there is no way to regain that. It's been tarnished. It's been tainted. 
And at some point it becomes no good but to be used to be thrown out into the streets. What causes the salt to lose its savor? The impurities. The impurities. We live in a day and age where we're preaching on separation and holiness is, is not a, a popular thing. For men to get up in the pulpit and say sin is absolutely sinful. Sin is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to be coddled. It's not something to be looked at and say, well, there's no big deal about that. I'm not really hurting anybody. The truth of the matter is my sin sent my Savior to the cross of Calvary to die. And there is certainly a sinfulness to sin that we in this day and age have forgotten. And when we allow this this, this spottedness of the world we begin to allow our, our appetites and our thoughts and our, our affections to be set on the things that this world has to offer. We start losing the saltiness that we're supposed to be. We start having impurities. We start becoming a vessel not of honor, but now a vessel of dishonor. A vessel that when the master comes and says, I've made this gold vessel here, or I've made this silver vessel here, or I've made this wood vessel or this earthen vessel to be used, and now I'm going to use it, and I find out it's a dirty vessel. There are times that my kids are required to do the dishes at the house. Sometimes they get done on time and sometimes they do not get done on time. And there have been times when I've gone to the cupboard to grab a dish that I was getting ready to use and there were no more of them. They were all piled in the sink. And it would be absolutely absurd for me to go grab a bowl that has mold growing on the inside of it because it's been sitting there dirty for two or three days. And to take a can of soup that I'm ready to eat and to open it up and pour it into that bowl and begin to eat it without washing that vessel out. And we can chuckle and we can laugh at the silly illustration over that, but let me just say this, there's a lot of that going on today in Christian circles. We are to be a vessel that God can use. That when He looks down and He sees Greg Boer, or He sees one of us sitting there as a vessel that He has made and set apart and sanctified to be used by Him in His work, because we've been spotted We've lost our savor. If we're not careful, we will thenceforth be good for nothing but to be trodden under the feet of men. And by the way, let me just say this. You can mark it down when a spotted Christian, a savorless, salted Christian, attempts to do God's word, word the world mocks him. The world looks at the life and says, if you're living like that, why do I want what you have? And they're trodden under the foot of men. When what God needs today are for some salty Christians to start making a difference. To hold the standard of the cross high. And I'm not talking about arrogance. Oh, the Lord help us and, and deliver us from the pride of arrogance. 
There's been a lot of people who have held to godly lifestyles and, and, and spiritual, what we call spiritual lifestyles that did it for no other reason than to uphold themselves in front of men so men would pat them on the back and say what kind of great Christian they are. That is never the case. In a Christian's life, we're to be unspotted by the world for no other reason than for men to look at our lives and see our Father. In the spirit of humility, but we've lost our savor. In the day and age we live, we've lost our savor. We've become spotted by the world. And then we wonder why we're not effective. Why is it we're not seeing fruit for our labor? In verse number 14, ye, if you have a pen, underline it again. Ye, are the light of the world. The light of the world. The salt has a purifying effect. And it has a preserving effect. The light has an illuminating effect. It brings understanding to darkened hearts. Ye are the light of the world. And once again, we come back to the point that there's nothing in us that's good that we can say our lights are doing this. But the light that the Lord Jesus fills us with is to be shed abroad into the hearts of those that come in contact with us. But when we're not the right vessel, when He cannot use us as an instrument of purity, to be able to put His power and resting it upon us, to do His work, that light grows dim. The Bible says in verse number 14, You're the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid. And boy, this is a sobering thought, my friend. If you name the name of Christ, if you say, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, can I tell you this? Whether you want to be or not, you're a city that's been set on a hill. And men are watching. Amen. Whether you're living a carnal lifestyle or you're living a spiritual lifestyle, men are watching. It cannot be hid. It might be the reason why in the book of Revelation, the Bible says, I would that were cold or hot. When I was younger, I, I struggled with that. And I thought, why would God rather somebody be cold than lukewarm? At least lukewarm is partially there, isn't it? But I got to thinking about that one day, and I thought this, and I, and I may be wrong on this, but I, I think this is what that verse is teaching. A person that is cold to the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't claim to be a Christian, doesn't try to claim to be a Christian. He, in fact, even if he is a believer in his heart, he tries the hardest he can to keep people from knowing it. And no damage is caused to the cause of Christ because of Him. People don't even know He's a Christian, if He is one. The lukewarm is one that says, I'm a Christian. And they come and they'll sing in the hymnals and they'll shake hands on Sunday morning and they'll smile and they'll clean up nice and they'll dress nice and they'll bring their Bibles to church and they might even amen every once in a while in the service. And then Monday through Saturday they go out here and live just like the world. My friend, that causes an awful lot of damage to the cause of Christ because that is a city that's been set on a hill and it cannot be hid. It cannot. There's either going to come the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ shining in us and through us, or there's going to be a darkness there and they're going to look at that city and say, boy, that, that city's got a lot of darkness in it. It's not able to be hid. There's a lot of people who think, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself the way I'm living. Can I tell you this? You're a city that can't be hid. Men are watching it. 
Men are watching it. And I like this because once again in verse number 14, he says, ye are the light of the world. He didn't say I am. We certainly know that the Bible teaches that in him is light and in him is no darkness at all. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What's the light that we are to the world? Would we agree with this this morning that the light that we are to the world is whatever light God gives in our hearts and our lives to be given out to others? It certainly is not our righteousness, is it? The Bible says our righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags in the, in the eyes of God. Why would we take filthy rags and go out to men and say, wouldn't you like to have some of these? We don't point men to our goodness. We point men to our Savior. He's the light. And by the way, if you've been saved, act like you got some light. If, if you don't have it, then get saved. When we get saved, there's something that becomes alive inside of us. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He talks about the way we used to walk, all these things that we used to do. But God in His mercy saved us. Show it. Don't be ashamed of it. Be excited about it. There was a lady in Florida that every time I went to register a vehicle at the DMV, she always was there. Her name was Sandy. And uh, every time, I, it seemed like every time I pulled a number, she always made sure that when she saw me walk in the door that I came to her, her station. And I'd walk up there and she knew I was from the church and I was registering church vehicles usually. And I'd get up there and I wasn't talking to her more than 20 seconds. She started talking about how good God was. And what should have taken five or ten minutes would usually take 25 or 30 minutes as we'd stand there and just talk about how good God was. And I would leave her booth so often being ashamed of the fact that people I came in contact with, I didn't always approach that way. But boy, she was so excited about her Savior. If you're saved today, act like it. Be joyful. You say, well, Brother Greg, I'm going through some valleys. Well, so did the Savior. But we're saved today, amen? We're not on our way to hell anymore. We've got a great, great, great message. The greatest one mankind has ever heard. That God has given us the great privilege of sharing with everybody else that is out here. What are we doing about it? Well, I don't know. I I just don't believe I, I... I don't want to be offensive. Well, you're already a city. They're already looking at you. You're either going to be a city of light or a city of darkness. Let's be a city of light. And then look what he says as we go on verse 15. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Neither would men light a candle and put it on a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Jesus said this, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. Are we lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today? Or are we cowering in our little corner of Christianity, comfortable in what we live? Folks, we've got, a, we've, got a, we've got a county here that is packed full of people who may be very sincere in what they believe. But they are sincerely wrong. And they're on their way to hell. And somebody's got to be a light to them. Don't say anything out loud, but go ahead and take a moment. And ask this question. Who's going to be the light to them? 
Who's going to show them their need of a Savior? Well, such and such church down the road, they, they do a good job. No, 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 no. That's not, going to, that's not going to accomplish it, is it? The Bible says, ye. Does it not? When we read these verses, we find God speaking to every one of us. And He's pointing His finger right at us and saying, You, you're the one. When I read this passage, I find four different times here. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine upon men that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see that? We're not talking about the church down the road. We don't say as Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send somebody else. We say, Lord, here am I, send what? Me. Why do we do that? Because God said, ye are the light of the world. Ye are the salt. Ye are the light that's been lit, that can bring light to the whole house. Put it on the candlestick. We live in a day and age where we have lost our savor. We have taken the candle that's been lit in our hearts and we've put bushels over them. I know it's a kid's song that we used to sing in Sunday school, but this little light of mine has a great amount of theological doctrine in it. And some of us need to be revived at that little song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all over Jefferson County. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine in my church. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine in my workplace. I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to put the little little, uh, bushel over top of it. I'm not going to let Satan blow it out. Amen. I'm going to let it shine. Could we get to a place today, a place of surrender and yieldedness to God, where we open up our souls and we say, Lord... I want all the light that you can give because I want to shine it everywhere I go. I want you to fill me. I want you to use me. I want to be one of those vessels of honor that purges himself and is not spotted by the world that men may see my good works and glorify my Father which is in heaven. I go out here and I talk to somebody about the cause of Christ It has a saltiness to it. It's not cast under their feet and trodden under their feet. It's not ridiculed and laughed at because of my lifestyle. There's something to it. Because that great Savior of mine, not only does He love me and want to save me, but He loves that person I'm talking to. He wants to save them. It's almost like Christ knew what He was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill and cannot be hid. No man lights a candle, puts it under a bushel, but puts it on a candlestick. Well, what a message. 
What a message. I wonder what we're doing today. Verse number 16 says, Look, your light so shine before men. You know, I've heard people say in the past, Well, God knows my heart. I understand that. But we're not trying to win God to Christ, are we? God doesn't need to be saved to escape hell, does He? We've been given the commission to go to all the world and preach the gospel. We've been given the commission to let our light shine before men. This argument, well, God looks on the heart so the outside doesn't matter, doesn't hold water according to Scripture. God never said that. God said He looks on the heart. He never said that the outside didn't matter. In fact, so many times we see Him saying, Come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. To remain unspotted from the world. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Are we salty Christians or have we allowed some impurities to come into our lives that have lost the savors, the savoriness of our salt? Have we allowed some impurities to hinder what God longs to do through us? We could ask it this way, are we the vessel of honor or are we the vessel of dishonor today? What kind of vessel are we? And we're going to affect somebody some way. Because whether we like it or not, we're a city on a hill. I hope we can ponder this message this morning because I think we live in a day and age where we don't give a lot of thought to these things. We kind of go along with the flow and what everybody else is doing in churches and what everybody else is doing in Christianity. On one side of our hearts and our minds, we say, well, we, we hold to the Bible and what the Bible says. We only want what the Bible has. It's our sole authority of our faith and practice. It has the answer to every problem and every decision we'll ever have to make in our life. And we like to quote those words and those sayings until it begins to impact us. And then it gets to be uncomfortable, doesn't it? And we'll respond one of two ways. We will either respond with the prideful arrogance of how dare the Bible deal with that part of my life. Or we will respond with a spirit of humility and say, Lord, help me in this area. Boy, I wonder what God could do. I wonder what He could do. If every believer was a vessel of honor, it was willing to be filled with Him to do His work, His way, with His power. I wonder what He could do. Well, I'm busy with my life, Brother Greg. And every day, souls are going to hell. Oh, that we would be burdened again. That we'd be burdened again. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. 
Lord, I've done my best, but the truth of the matter is, Lord, it doesn't matter one bit what I do unless you speak to hearts. Lord, I'm burdened for this, and I believe that you would, if you could stand here today, I think you'd preach the exact same thing. Lord, help us to see. Help us to lift up our eyes and look under the fields. I pray that you'd help us to be cleansed, that we purge and purify ourselves, that we will not be a salt that has lost its savor, that we will not be a city on a hill that is a city of darkness, but a city of light. Lord, there's so much more that could be done. In the day and age that we live, there's so many people who need to be one to you. Lord, it's easy for us in the day that we live to look at the the downward spiral of our country and our nation and say there's no hope, but the truth is that's only true if their salt has lost its savor. Lord, if there's still some saltiness left, there still can be a difference made. Lord, I pray that you would help in this church and in our people and in our lives and, Lord, begin in each and every one of our hearts individually and make us salty Christians again, making a difference. For Father, if there's someone here in this room that does not know you as their Savior, I don't know why this morning you've put that on my heart, but there may be somebody here. I pray that before they leave, they would get that matter settled and they'd allow us during the invitation time to take your word and show you how, show them how they can be saved. Bless the invitation, Lord. Use it and do with it as you will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to sing this morning. But if God has spoken to your heart, our altars are open. Maybe we need to come and get some things right. Maybe there's some things that are in our life that have been spotting us and causing us to lose our savor. Maybe we've been guilty of just not not taking our light. We've hid it under a bushel. If you're here this morning you're not saved, let me beg of you, would you please come and let us show you how you can be saved this morning. As the piano and organ begin to play, would you come? Our altars are open this morning.
have one more verse of invitation. Perhaps this would be the one that God would move you on. Would you come this morning? Thank you. May lift your heads. In just a few moments, we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, let's, let's leave this morning, would we, and reflect on the message and the truth and ponder it and allow it to sink in. Uh, I'm, I'm fearful sometimes that we leave and quickly forget. But uh, let's not do that this morning. Uh, tonight in the service, we'll have uh, be observing the Lord's Supper. And want to invite you to come and be back with us. If you've been scripturally saved and baptized in the Church of Like Faith, we invite you to come. You're welcome to partake with us. And we look forward to a wonderful time this evening around God's Word as we take time to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what a Savior. Amen. What a Savior. And uh, looking forward to it tonight. Well, let's be dismissed in word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Larry Clark, if he would, to dismiss us, then take time to fellowship after the service.